Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. Thank you for your beautiful character. And God, as the Sabbath is coming upon us, we just want to pray and ask you to prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive the Word of God. And we pray in a very special way that we'd walk away from tonight's message eternally changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight's message is entitled, Prophecies Waterfall. Prophecies Waterfall. Tomorrow morning's message is going to be my own testimony, how I became a Christian. I was born and raised in a Hindu family, and about 11 years ago, the Lord reached into my life, and He saved me. But what I discovered, well, it wasn't just then that He began His work, but it started a long time ago. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, and He says, you don't know where He comes from and where He goes, and so is everyone who is born of the kingdom. So folks, you don't want to miss it. Tomorrow morning at 10.40 a.m., I'm going to share my testimony. And it's going to be a wonderful time, an enjoyable time. And there's going to be a delicious potluck afterwards. So make sure you show up for that. And then Saturday night is going to be our final message. And it's entitled, The Final Prophecy. And that's going to be a spectacular conclusion to this prophecy seminar. Can you say amen to that? So folks, make sure you don't miss any part of that. That's Sabbath morning at 10.40 a.m. And we're going to have a special Bible discussion class at 9.30 a.m. So if you wake up early on Saturday morning and you're thinking to yourself, I would really like to come to church early, that's great because at 9.30, Pastor Scott Went is going to be leading us out in a discussion of the Bible. So, so you're going to really, really appreciate that. And so, by the way, does anybody know who Scott Went is? Scott, do you want to raise your hand? Okay, that's Pastor Scott Went right there, and he's also a math teacher as well. Now, what school do you teach at? La Loma Junior High School. La Loma Junior High School. Okay, we'll continue to pray for you. So, but folks, here's the thing. You don't want to miss that. That's at 9.30, and Scott's going to lead a discussion of the Word of God. And then at 10.40 a.m. is when we begin the morning service. Please don't miss it. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to share some things that the Lord has personally shown me and done in my life. I really believe it's going to be a powerful morning. And Saturday night, the final prophecy. What we discovered the last few nights was that we are living in a world of deception. Jesus talked about the devil in Revelation chapter 12. And he says the devil deceives the whole world. Now here's the interesting thing about deception. And this is something that should not be forgotten, okay? If you know you're being deceived, you're not being deceived. <laughs> right? I mean, if you know you're being deceived, you're not being deceived. Uh, that's what makes deception so dangerous because you don't know that you're being deceived. The Bible makes it very clear that the devil deceives the whole world. Number two... Deception always has to do in regard to God's timing. Deception always has to do in regards to God's timing. Whenever God is planning something really big, the devil always tries to muddy the waters by sending counterfeits, okay? You know, like for example, when Jesus came the first time, there was a bunch of false messiahs around there. And so when Jesus showed up, a lot of people had a lot of unbelief because they saw so many wannabe messiahs. 
And so at the end of time, there's going to be a, louder, a lot of counterfeits of the real deal. And that's why we have to follow the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know, it's very interesting. America's Funniest Videos, they did this prank several years ago. And what they wanted to do was fool people about who were traveling to Canada. And so what they did was about 500 miles away from the Canadian border, still in the United States, they actually set up the entrance post. They even had a Mountie there and a sign that said, Welcome to Canada. And so what took place was a lot of people as they were driving and they were seeing their maps and they were using the GPS as they were coming in, all of a sudden they saw this Welcome to Canada sign and there was a Mountie right there. And they begin to scratch their head and think to themselves, wait a second, something's wrong here. And so they looked at the map, and they looked at the Canadian, they looked at the map, and they saw the sign. And they were so fooled by it that many people actually thought 500 miles away from the Canadian border that they were in Canada. But here's the thing. The devil deceives the world about the coming of Jesus. The devil deceives the world about the coming of Jesus. So in these end times, we need to make sure we're following the word of God. Amen? And how you are ready for the end of time is when you're ready today. And so that's why it's extremely important to follow the word of God and be obedient to the things that the Lord shows you. The, Jesus warned about the blind leading the blind. We learned that God actually has a movement on earth. We learned about this movement, that it would be a worldwide movement. They wouldn't just preaching, would be preaching the gospel in Arizona. They'd be preaching it to the entire world. Can you say amen to that? They will look like the early church. They will be built upon the pure word of God. They will keep all ten commandments. They will possess a genuine, biblical, legitimate gift of prophecy. Remember what I said? Anytime God does something big, he always sends a what? A prophet. We learned about the exodus. God sent Moses. The flood. God sent Noah. The Babylonian captivity. God sent Jeremiah. The first coming of Jesus. He sent John the Baptist. And so it would be very logical to see that right before Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to be sending a real prophet in the midst of all the false prophets. We also discovered that this end time movement will have Jesus as the head and the center. Can you say amen to that? And that's extremely important because if Jesus is not being lifted up, guess what? It's not Jesus' church. Amen? Amen? If Jesus is not the center, it's not Jesus' bride. And so we've got to make sure this end time movement will be lifting up the cross of Calvary. We also discovered that it would come after 1798. Read Revelation chapter 12 and you discover that when the papal power loses its power, that's when this remnant church shows up. And they will have a complete message that will impact not only the spiritual, but the physical. Jesus' ministry consisted of not only preaching, but healing. Can you say amen to that? And when you look at every one of these characteristics, you see very clearly that it only fits one end time movement, especially in these end times, it only fits one end time movement, and it's none other than the Seventh-day Adventist church. Jesus said some very interesting things. He said, I have sheep in other flock, them I must call, and they will hear my what? Voice. We discovered at the end of time in Revelation 18, there would be this clarion call, come out of Babylon. 
And what God would be doing, he would be calling people out of confusion and into the truth. Can you say amen to that? And it's the truth of the word of God. We learned about every one of these reformers who lost their lives, who took the truth one step further during the dark ages. And at the end of time, all these truths are placed together. And God is saying, take this complete gospel to the entire world. Can you say amen to that? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? He says, when the gospel has been preached to the entire world, then the end will come. So what Jesus does in Matthew 24, he actually leaves the coming of his his son. God leaves the coming of his son in the hands of the church. What do you mean by that? The Bible says in the gospel, in the epistle of Peter, that we can hasten the coming of Jesus by preaching about the coming of Jesus by spreading the message. So this end time movement has to be a message or a mission, or very mission driven, that is taking the message to the entire world. Can you say amen to that? An Adventist is somebody who not only knows about the second coming, but someone who loves the second coming. Amen? Paul said in 2 Timothy that the, that the Lord of the universe has a crown for him, and not only for him, but all those who love His appearing. Do you love the second coming of Jesus? Do you believe in the Bible Sabbath? You're essentially Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist. That's exactly right. All right. We also found this quotation from Catholic literature. And by the way, if you need more uh, historic quotes, we have them at the green table afterwards. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did, talking about the Roman church system, happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the Lord was chosen not from any direction noted in the scriptures, but from the Catholic Church sense of its own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become what? Seventh-day Adventists. There it is, out of the mouth of the beast, that if you're going to follow the scriptures, logically, you should be a Seventh-day Adventist. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a Christian who logically follows the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? And folks, that's what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, someone who, is, who is, loves the Word of God. Now, there was a very interesting story in the scriptures, and it's found in John chapter 3. It's found in John chapter 3. A very unusual man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a teacher of Israel, and he wanted to avoid the embarrassment of coming to Jesus, decides one late night that he's going to find this Jesus, and he's going to ask him questions. Nicodemus was a teacher who heard Jesus preach. He heard all about Jesus, saw Jesus doing some wonderful things, but because of the pressure of the crowd around him, he avoided coming to Jesus. And so at night, when no one else was around, he found Jesus, and he said, Lord, I have some questions to ask you. And it was very interesting. Watch what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named what? Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes in to meet Jesus, and he starts flattering Jesus. He starts complimenting Jesus, but Jesus cuts right down to the point, and he says, all right, Nicodemus, there's something I need to tell you. 
And right there, interrupting the conversation of Nicodemus, Jesus answered, and watch what it says in John chapter 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And right there, as Nicodemus was talking, all of a sudden, Jesus says some very unusual words to him. He says, Nicodemus, I want you to understand something. Unless you are born again, you cannot see heaven. And you can just imagine Nicodemus at that moment just shocked. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot, now watch this, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, why that's very interesting, because actually what Jesus was referring to was something about something called baptism. You know, baptism was actually practiced during the intertestamental time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it was only practiced on a certain group of people. It was practiced on pagans who became believers, Gentiles who became believers. And when these Gentiles became believers, they were called babies, babies in the Lord. And so Jesus turns to Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you need to be baptized. And now Nicodemus knows what this means, and so he says, wait a second, and obviously Jesus doesn't actually mean I need to get baptized. He must be referring to something else. He must be talking about the, the biological process we call birth. And he says, how am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb again? And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, speaking directly to Nicodemus' heart, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. God spoke directly to the heart of this, this ruler. And he says, Nicodemus, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. The only way for you to enter into heaven, he says, you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. Or you can't even enter into the place. He even said, you can't even see the place. Jesus was trying to save Nicodemus in speaking strongly to him, folks. Because what he saw in Nicodemus was a man who was a seeker. Amen? And so as Jesus began speaking to Nicodemus, you can imagine the heart of Nicodemus stirred as God was opening up heaven to this man. Heaven to this man. But what does it actually mean to be born of water? Jesus said you must be born of water and of the what? Spirit. But what does it mean to be born of water? Well, the Bible talks about being born of water. It's called baptism. Now, let's learn some interesting things about baptism. Mark chapter 16, verse 16, the scriptures teach, He who believes and is what? Baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. The Bible teaches that in order to be saved, baptism is something that God wants you to do. It is something that God is asking all of his believers to do. You see that Jesus himself, as an example to all of humanity, was baptized. And so the Bible teaches that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But what exactly does that mean? Watch what the Bible also says about the baptism of Jesus. 
When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Here you have Jesus, the Son of God, the example of humanity who was baptized in the very beginning. The very purpose of baptism. What's the purpose of baptism? This ordinance, what is the purpose of it? Acts chapter 22, verse 16, the Bible says this, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your what? Sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now when something, somebody gets baptized, you have to understand something. There's nothing special about the water. There's no extra potion we pour into the water. There's no holy water. All the water is, is a symbol of the washing that comes from the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And it is symbolic of the cleansing that we receive from God. And so when somebody gets baptized, what they're essentially doing is taking a quick bath and they're coming out clean and refreshed. But the, the symbol is... It represents what Jesus has done for you on Calvary. Can you say amen to that? That is the purpose of baptism. You also discover another purpose of baptism. Look what the Bible teaches in Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. What you discover baptism represents, it's a symbol of the resurrection. It's a symbol of what? The resurrection. That's exactly right. And so what you see in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, is the very purpose of, of, of baptism. It was to be a symbol of the resurrection. So as a person went down, it would be a representation of them dying to this world. And as they came back up, it would be a symbol of them resurrecting to new life in Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And so this was one of the purposes of baptism. Rebaptism. A lot of people ask that question. Is rebaptism actually biblical in the Bible? Can I actually get rebaptized? I was already baptized a long time ago. Well, watch, the, watch what the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verses 2 through 5. This was a very interesting encounter. Paul one day was traveling on his journeys and he came across a group of disciples who were actually disciples of John the Baptist. And so Paul begins to have this interesting conversation with them. Look what the Bible says. Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. You see, when John the Baptist showed up and he was proclaiming uh, the truths that he understood, the light of God or the light of the mess, mess, messianic mission was not completely revealed. When Jesus showed up, he taught the truth about the Holy Spirit. And so John the Baptist, with the little light that he did possess, taught that to his disciples. And so they were really surprised when Paul began to talk about the Holy Spirit. And they said, we have never actually heard of a Holy Spirit. And watch what Paul says. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. John the Baptist baptized us. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of who? The Lord Jesus. 
So what you see in rebaptism is this. Rebaptism is biblically permissible when an individual begins to learn new light about Jesus, when they begin to learn new light about the cross of Calvary, when they begin to learn new things in the scriptures. And just like these disciples, as they begin to experience the truth about Jesus, as they begin to understand the scriptures, all of a sudden they said, we're going to get rebaptized, and they were rebaptized in the name of Jesus. So rebaptism is entirely permissible according to the scriptures. Can you say amen to that? And so you see what the Bible teaches. But what does the word baptism actually mean? Now, the word baptism in Greek is the Greek word baptizo, which simply means immersed, submerged, or go underwater. That's what the word actually means. The root word actually has to do with taking cloth, white cloth, and dipping it under dye, under like a, a liquid dye, and pulling it out, and it comes out with a new color. And so what baptism was, was when a believer would go under the water and they would come back up. They would come back up. And what would take place was that was a symbol of the resurrection of what God has done for us. Well, where did this, all these other forms of baptism show up? You have people getting baptized this way. You have people getting sprinkled on top. You also have baptism where people are walking underneath rose petals. All sorts of baptisms that take place. Baptism for the dead. You see all sorts of things. But the Bible teaches that when a person was baptized, they were completely immersed in wonder water and they were brought down as a symbol of them dying to this world and being brought up as a symbol of the, resurrection, the resurrecting power of Christ. Infant baptism, that was actually one of the things that started during the Dark Ages. Sprinkling, that started during the Dark Ages. Why? Because there were several kings who were actually wanting to get baptized. They were wanting to join the Catholic Church, but they didn't want to take off all the robes, all the jewelry, all the luxurious things that they wore, they didn't want to get wet. And so what would happen was they would call the priest in and they said, priest, we want to get baptized. And so the priest would say, all right. And he'd take a little bit of water and he would sprinkle it on their forehead. And all of a sudden they were baptized. But you see, the very method of baptism was designed to communicate a message. And that was that you are dying to this world and you are resurrecting in Christ. Can you say amen to that? We know immersion was practiced because when you take a look at the scriptures, the Bible teaches that they would baptize where there was much water. You even discover, actually we'll discover that even in the early churches, that when there was archaeology that was done, the baptism pools were found and they were essentially like saunas and, excuse me, essentially like spas that went down. And so it was enough to make sure the person went all the way down and all the way back up. And this was extremely important because the, the merry method of baptism, the way a person was baptized, was communicating the, what baptism was all about. It was being immersed under and coming right back up. And so, folks, infant baptism also started in the very beginning of the Dark Ages as well. People were worried about their children, children who had died without knowing Jesus, uh, making that decision to follow God. And so the Catholic Church began to say, well, what we'll do is we'll start practicing infant baptism or Christianing. And so what they would do is sprinkle some water. But here's the thing to understand about this, folks. 
This is extremely important. Baptism is a choice. Can you say amen to that? Do you remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 2? He said, repent and be what? Baptized. In other words, make the decision to repent and then be baptized. In other words, there needs to be a choice in baptism. Can you say amen to that? And so you can imagine a young baby or baby who, who just was born not too long ago. The baby doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. And that baby doesn't know how to make decisions. Folks, it's when the child or the individual reaches an age of accountability, when they start making decisions, that this baptism is extremely important. Can you say amen to that? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so what we understand is that baptism also has to do with coming into God's church. It has to do with coming into God's church, his body of believers. In fact, when you take a good look at the word church in Greek, what it actually means in Greek is called out ones. It actually means in Greek, called out ones. Now, what is that clarion call found in the book of Revelation chapter 18? Come out of Babylon, my what? People. people. God is calling his people out of confusion and to be baptized and to join his end time movement. Can you say amen to that? Now, a lot of people join the Seventh-day Adventist church. Some or many are baptized. Others simply make a profession of faith. They feel that the first time they got baptized was biblical and it was genuine and the spirit of God was there and that's okay. Amen? Amen? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Watch what Peter says. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized. That's exactly right. When Peter spoke, you know that Peter was completely used by the Holy Spirit because when you take a good look at his sermon, all he simply said was, You're murderers. And at the very end, they were cut to the heart and they said, What shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. And sure enough, thousands begin to follow the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen to that? But you understand something. Repentance is actually important to baptism. I want to say that one more time. Repentance is important to baptism. But what exactly is repentance? The word repentance simply means change. It means that you are believing the things of Scripture. You're following the strings of Scripture. Does it mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. But it does mean you're willing to follow God. Can you say amen to that? And so that's why Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Luke chapter 7, verse 30. What we discovered was something that's very important. Okay, and let's not miss this point. The Bible says something about the Pharisees and the lawyers. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God. But how did they reject the will of God? How were they completely uh, opposed to the will of God and stopping what God was doing? Look what the Bible says. For themselves not having been baptized by him. The initial step in following Christ, the very beginning in following Christ was baptism. But they said, no, 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 we're not going to humble ourselves. We're going to stay exactly where we are. We're going to say the same things. We're going to be the same people. We're not going to change. And sure enough, the Bible begins to describe this, that this was the beginning of their rejection of the will of God. 
And folks, let's pray that none of us reject the will of God. Can you say amen to that? But what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Jesus said you must be born of water and you must be born of the what? Of the Spirit. What does that mean to be born of the Spirit? Watch what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. You know, what's something that was very interesting, I had a discussion with one of, our individu- one of the individuals who's not here, but I, he said, do we need to keep the commandments of God? I said, absolutely. And I said, love is the motivation behind keeping the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, but how can we keep the commandments of God? And I said, look at the rest of the verse. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another what? helper that he may abide with you forever you know what jesus says if you love me keep my commandments and i will send the holy spirit can you say amen to that the spirit of truth if you're wanting to follow god if you're wanting to keep his commandments the promise of god is sure that he would send the spirit of truth and i believe that's why every person is here whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, Jesus said, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now take a good look at this word right there. It says another helper. The word helper in Greek is the word parakletos, which simply means one who comes right next to you. And so what the Holy Spirit would be, he would be one of the members of the Godhead who would come right next to you and jesus takes it a step further and he says telling the disciples but you already know him for he dwells in you folks i want to tell you something if you've been convicted by the word of god if you feel that lord is showing you wonderful things of scripture if god is pressing your heart to follow him guess what the holy spirit is working in your life can you say amen to that Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you make that decision to follow Jesus and when you hear the word of truth and you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you, what happens? The Bible teaches that God seals you with his Holy Spirit and this Holy Spirit helps you in the journey. And so the very fact you are here is an indication the Holy Spirit is working in your life because he's called the Spirit of truth. Amen? And that Jesus said in John chapter 16, he will guide you to all truth. What seems like circumstances, what seems like randomness or complete convenience or uh, a coincidence with a, a flyer coming to you or perhaps a knock at your door or whatever it was, folks, the Spirit of God was leading you to understand his word. Can you say amen to that? John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Watch what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, watch this, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of what? Judgment. Part of what the Holy Spirit would do would be to convict you of the truths of God's word. Can you say amen to that? And this is extremely important. And this is why every day we need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And when we allow the Holy Spirit to have more and more access to our lives, what we will discover is that God will begin to convict us more and more and more. 
Now I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to take a quick detour because I'm going to talk about something in this process. You know, a lot of individuals think that when you accept Christ, that you should immediately begin to speak with tongues. And a lot of churches out there will say, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And what they mean by that is, are you speaking in tongues? Now, this is something that's important to understand. The greatest indication that one has the Holy Spirit, now pay attention to me, the greatest indication that one has the Holy Spirit is that they bear the fruits of the Spirit. What is the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit? The gifts are simply qualities or gifts that are given to help the gospel go forward. The fruits of the Spirit are the characteristics that God does or the the, the change He does in your heart where you begin to bear characteristics of God. Can you say amen to that? And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love. What? Joy. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Kindness. Self-control. Meekness. Again, you see this over and over again. What are these things? These are characteristics of God. And so the greatest indication that one has the Holy Spirit is that there is love in their heart. Can you say amen to that? But one of the things that God also does, he empowers the believer by giving them gifts. Not all gifts are the same. Can you say amen to that? Imagine everybody on the football team was the quarterback. That would be the worst team in the entire world, right? But here's the thing. God gives different gifts for different reasons. And the purpose is to help the team move forward. Amen? Now, a lot of people say, wait a second. Didn't God give the gift of tongues? Well, let's take a look at the actual biblical gift of tongues. Take your Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. What is the biblical gift of tongues? Acts chapter 2, page 1052. And what you discover from the Bible is that there was a necessity. The early church was just filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they proclaimed the gospel on that day of Pentecost, it was discovered that there were Jews from all over individuals who were speaking foreign languages. And so why God gave the gift was for the very purpose of communicating the gospel to individuals that they could not normally communicate with. Watch what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And that's not a car, that's talking about unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of what? Fire. And one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the what? Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. I want you to notice one thing, and that is, who gives the gift of tongues? The Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is responsible for giving the gifts. The Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit gives as He wills. I don't use the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses me. Can you say amen to that? So number one, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Now watch the second thing. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So that day on the Feast of Pentecost, you had Jews who were from all over who were showing up. You can imagine this. People didn't have their iPads or their iPhones. They didn't have translators. They couldn't go on Google and find out what that person was saying. There was a difficulty in language. There was a difficulty in communication. Now watch what happens. 
Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak, what? In his own, what? Language. Something to understand is this, that tongues is a real language. It's a real intelligible language. It is not babble. There's a lot of entities out there will say that will say you need to speak in the gift of tongues. And what they are saying is you need to speak in babbling. Where you take a few syllables, put them together, and you repeat the words over and over again. But what you discover from the Bible that the biblical gift of tongues was a real intelligible language. In fact, the Greek word for tongues is the word glossia, where you get your word glossary, glossary from. And it means, actually in Greek, intelligible language. It was a real language that was given to people. And why? Because these disciples now had to take the gospel and communicate it to that guy and communicate to this foreigner and communicate to that foreigner because they couldn't do it before. Language was a barrier. And so what you discover from the scriptures, number one, the Holy Spirit gives as he wills. Number two, the gift of tongues is a real intelligible language. In actual language, it is not Babel. Babel only comes from one place, and that's Babylon. That's where you get the word Babylon from. And this is extremely important, folks, because we need to make sure we're basing our experience upon the word of God. Can you say amen to that? I had one minister speak to me one day, and he says, can you speak in the gift of tongues? And I said, no, I can't. He says, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, the, what I found from Scripture is that the greatest indication someone has the Holy Spirit is if they bear the fruits of the Spirit. And guess what? The fruits of the Spirit are for everyone. Can you say amen to that? And that's the greatest indication that you have the Holy Spirit when your heart is changed and you really begin to exemplify the love of God. Amen? But the gifts are different, and God gives them as he wills for a variety of purposes. Can you say amen to that? So what we discover is that everyone was hearing this tongues in their own languages. Let's continue, and you're going to see the context very clearly. Verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? They're, the crowd is so blown away, they're saying to themselves, Wait a second. How is it possible that these people are speaking our language? They're from the area of Galilee. All they know how to speak is Galilean. They were so surprised that these people could speak. These disciples could speak in their language. Let's keep going. Look at verse 8. It's very key. And how is it that we hear each one in our own what? Language in which we were born. Parthenons, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians, Abs, we hear them speaking in our own what? Language. You see, what's happening out in the world is not what the Bible was teaching. Why God gave the gifts of tongues? gift of tongues was for the very purpose of communicating the gospel to individuals who could not be understood nor speak in that same language. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Amen. Now take your Bible. I'm going to show you something really quickly. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We got to make sure we get our answers from the word of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1107. Let's start with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual what? Gifts. 
gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He says, Paul says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Watch what he says. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one says that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same what? Spirit. So gifts of the Spirit are what? Diverse. They're not all the same. No, not everybody receives the gift of tongues. Not everybody receives the gift of prophecy. Not everyone receives the gift of administration. Not everyone receives the gift of preaching. What you discover is that there are multiple gifts, and it's based upon how God wants to distribute those gifts. Can you say amen to that? And the purpose is building a team. The team is called the church. And what's the purpose of the church? Was to take the gospel to the entire world. Can you say amen to that? Now take a good look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. What you discover on the priority list of, of the gifts is that tongues come way at the end. Tongues come way at the end. Now watch what else the Spirit says to Paul. Are all apostles... It's a rhetorical question. Are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Paul says at the very end, he's like, does everybody have the gift of prophecy? Does everybody have the gift of tongues? In other words, everyone has different gifts. Can you say amen to that? In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, Jesus didn't say, what you need to do is just repeat the same word over and over again, and you're going to go through this ecstasy of an experience. You're going to fall on the ground and shake. No, no, no. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. Jesus didn't say, you need to speak in tongues. No, no, no. He said, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Can you say amen to that? When Jesus was teaching his disciples about how to pray, it wasn't that they need to speak in some heavenly language or a language that they didn't understand. God is a real being who desires real communication. Can you say amen to that? I have actually two friends, both of them theology students, and know Hebrew very well. What happened, this occurred to them twice, twice as they were traveling through Europe. They stopped by and went to different churches, and they went to one church where the man stood up and was speaking with the gift of tongues, or what he thought was the gift of tongues, and he didn't know what he was saying, but as he began to speak, he was speaking gibberish, but part of that gibberish actually had some real Hebrew in it. And so as he was speaking, the man said, I'm just praising the Lord, and everyone's just praising God. And so one of my friends turns to my other friends, and he says, they're not praising God in Hebrew, they're cursing God. And what they discovered, this actually took place in two different churches that they went to. Folks, we need to make sure we're following the word of God. Amen? Now, does this mean people who, are, who, who speak, who say they have the gift of tongues, that we should treat them like heathens or pagans? Absolutely not. If you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you have the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you're going to love them like your brother and sister. Amen? And you've got to pray with them and share these things with them in a loving Christ-like way. Can you say amen to that? Now, let's get back right there. I want you to notice something right there. Look what it says at John chapter 16, verse 7 through 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Sin, of righteousness, and judgment. 
The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit would begin to convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And we discovered that God wrote three things with his hand. He wrote the law with his hand, righteousness. He wrote judgment with his hand in the walls of Babylon. And then he wrote sin on the ground. Folks, do you remember in John chapter 8 when those Pharisees were about to stone that woman and Jesus wrote their sins on the ground? You know what's so awesome about that? While Jesus wrote the law in stone, while he wrote judgment in stone, he wrote our sins in the dust of the ground that flies away when the wind comes. Can you say amen to that? He will blot out our transgressions. And what else is very interesting is that when he was writing that, he was actually writing that in the temple vicinity. Why that's very important? Because Jesus called himself the temple. Jesus said, I have engraved you upon the palms of my hand. You know where Jesus wrote your sin? Upon his own body. Folks, your sin is not written in stone. It's written on his own body. No scars. Can you say amen to that? And this is what the Holy Spirit would do. Watch what the Bible says in John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into what? All truth. Notice it doesn't say some truth. It doesn't say a little bit of truth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help you understand the word of God. Can you say amen to that? And are you understanding the word of God like never before? Amen, Amen, folks. And you want to know why? It's not because of my preaching. It's because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Can you say amen to that? And that is powerful. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. The path of the just is like the shining what? Sun. Which that, that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The path of the just is going to be one where one begins to see more clearly and begin to understand like never before. If you're following God and you're on the path of the just, guess what? The, the, the light of God's word will become brighter and brighter. Can you say amen to that? But the scriptures teach the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. People in darkness don't know the difference between left and right. People in darkness are in confusion. And what we need to do is to make sure we take the word of God and we follow it and help others. Can you say amen to that? But oftentimes we may be the only one in our family who's following the Lord. Oftentimes we may be the only one who will take a stand for Jesus. And what's going to take place is the individuals who take a stand for Jesus are going to find out that the devil's not going to like it. And they're going to find that the devil's going to do whatever it takes to stop you from following Jesus. But folks, the very fact that's happening should be an indication to you you're on the right path. Can you say amen to that? Jesus wants to change our heart. The Holy Spirit. We need not only to be born of water, but of the Spirit. Because the Spirit writes the law upon our hearts. Can you say amen to that? And God helps us to delight in Him. And when we delight in Him, He'll give us the desires of our heart. But the Bible also gives a very strong warning. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 talks about this warning. Now this is extremely important because watch what the scriptures are teaching. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it very clear. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit can be hurt by our actions. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. When we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. When we're not letting go of those things that we should be. When we're not following Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't allow him to work. Look what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19. Do not quench 
the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Folks, because the Spirit helps guide us to all truth. If we say, no, 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 I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to drink from the living water. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to follow who I want to follow. I'm going to go where I want to follow. Folks, you know what begins to happen? We start quenching the Spirit. But God calls us to follow Him. Amen? Amen. But there was a very interesting sin where all these things would add up to. Where all these things would add up to. Matthew 12, verse 31. Jesus was speaking about the Pharisees, but He was speaking to all people, all the believers, giving them a warning. Jesus was trying to save them from something that could take place. Look what it says in Matthew 12, verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven them. Jesus actually makes it clear there is one sin that man cannot receive forgiveness for, and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But what exactly is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit occurs when you continually reject the voice of God and build up a wall to the point where you are no longer listening to the Spirit of God. And what can happen is the most unusual things. Those Pharisees and Sadducees had so rejected the Spirit of God, they, they so rejected what Jesus was talking about, what John the Baptist was trying to do, that they built up a wall, and it got to the point that when they were seeing Jesus doing things right in their face, blatant miracles, they sought to kill him. They sought to kill him. They came to the point where they're saying, you know what? We're not going to follow him. And folks, the warning is for every one of us not to reject the Spirit's work because we can end up in a place where those Pharisees and Sadducees were, and that is getting to the place where you're saying, I know what the Spirit is saying, but I'm not going to follow him. And that's where the Pharisees and Sadducees ended up. Folks, when the Spirit of God is, is sharing things with you, when He's showing you things from the Scripture, when He wants you to follow Him step by step, folks, God knows the future. He's trying to save you, not just from circumstances, but from your potential condition that you can end up in. God knows the human heart very well. He knows its weaknesses, and He calls each one of us not to reject the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, but to be faithful to what He shows us. Can you say amen to that? We don't want to be individuals who build up a wall where we can no longer hear the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be individuals who say, Lord, I know what you're talking about, but that's okay. I'm not going to follow it. We don't want to be like that. We want to follow Jesus. Amen? We may struggle. We may fall. That's okay. Jesus gets us back up, but we got to keep moving forward. Can you say amen to that? And this is where the Pharisees and the lawyers began the, very, uh, began the work of rejecting the Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says in Luke 7, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. They said, we're, gonna just, we're just going to reject God in this basic, simple, humble service. We're not going to even get involved in this. And what happened? The next step, they rejected. And the next step, they rejected. The next step, they rejected. And the next step, they rejected until they got to the point where they said, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. They came to that point, and God doesn't want anybody to get to that point. Folks, we act like the Bible doesn't teach these things. God is pleading for us. God is wanting us to follow him. He knows the future, and he is trying to save us from these things. Can you say amen to that? 
Look what the Bible says in Revelation 3, verse 20. It's interesting. When you notice Jesus in the middle of all the churches in Revelation chapter 1, at the very end, in Revelation chapter 3, he's outside. Revelation 3, verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will, what? Hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The last call given in Revelation chapter 3 is to open the door. And guess what? There's only one person who can open the door of your life, and that's you. There's only one person who can put your hand on the knob and say, Okay, Jesus, I'm letting you in. Folks, the Spirit of God wants to work in everyone's life. The Spirit of God wants to save you. Can you say amen to that? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, the Bible teaches, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes him shall have what? Mercy. Shall have mercy. God is running out to you with his mercy and with his grace. And he says, look, forsake these things and I will cover you. I will cover your sins. I will blot them out and they will be no more. And this is something that God wants to do for every person. Amen? Mark chapter 7, verse 9. But look what Jesus says. He said, all too well you reject the commandment. What commandment? They were rejecting the Ten Commandments. Why? That they may keep your tradition. There's nothing wrong with traditions, amen? But it's only when traditions contradict the Scripture. And what was taking place was these traditions were set up and violating the commandments. And sure enough, Jesus said to them, you're rejecting the commandments. What I make very clear, Jesus said, you're rejecting them so that you may keep your tradition. A lot of people learn these beautiful truths and they said, you know what? That's okay. That's really great. I felt like I, I had a little bit of spiritual experience and I'm walking away from this now. I'm still going to be the same person, do the exact same thing. Nothing's changed. I'm not going to start keeping God's Sabbath. I'm not going to start believing the scriptures. I'm going to do my own thing. And guess what happens? We put up a brick. And what happens is God brings us to the next point, and we say, you know what, Lord, that's great, but I'm going to put up a brick. And every time you reject God, guess what? It's easier to reject him the next time. But folks, God wants to save us from these things. Can you say amen to that? God wants to save us from these things. One day, Jesus came across a young man, and he told this young man, I want you to follow me. And the young man said, you know what? I can't do it. And the Bible says he walked away. Sorrowful because he had many possessions. To him, the world was worth more to Je than Jesus. To him, what he had was worth more than Jesus. Folks, this individual was almost saved. But to be almost saved is still to be entirely lost. Folks, God doesn't want us to be like this young rich ruler who walked away. He doesn't want us to be like this young rich ruler. You look at Acts chapter 26, verse 28. One day Paul was speaking before this king, and he was sharing his testimony, and he called that man to follow God. And you know what this king says at the very end of it? Watch these words. Watch what this king says at the end of Paul's speech. You almost persuaded. You almost did it, Paul, he said. You almost persuaded me. In some translations, it says, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. But guess what? To almost be a follower of God, to almost be a Christian, to almost be saved, is still to be entirely lost. But guess what? To almost be lost is to be entirely saved. Can you say amen to that? And folks, this is something we need to understand. Because the same conversation God had with Nicodemus, he's having with each one of us tonight. 
The same conversation that Jesus had 2,000 years ago with Nicodemus, he's having with each one of us tonight. And he's saying to each one of us, you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. And of the Spirit. But guess what? Jesus didn't just finish that conversation with Nicodemus with those verses that we read. He said something else. It's a verse that we use all the time. It's found in John chapter 3, verse 16. But watch the context. Jesus talks about the Old Testament. And he says, Moses, uh, Nicodemus, let me tell you about a story of the Old Testament. It's about Moses. And watch what he says. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What was he talking about? What Jesus was talking about was an interesting story that took place in the Old Testament. A time where people had rejected God, a time where people were wanting to do their own thing. Serpents came from all over the land and started biting the people. And they were crying out to God. And God tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. You can read about Numbers 21. He tells Moses, I want you to take a stick. I want you to put a, a bronze serpent on there. And as the people look at this, they'll be saved. And sure enough, you can read in the story in Numbers, they'd come out to that. They'd come out to that stick, and as soon as they looked at that stick, they were healed. They were healed. They would actually, this was the hard part though, they would actually have to go through the entire camp, make their way all the way up through all the people, face ridicule, ridicule and embarrassment. But if they wanted healing, they'd have to come to this. Folks, Jesus continues with Nicodemus and he says, as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then he says, John chapter 3, verse 16, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Guess what? That conversation took, three, took place in the very beginning of Christ's ministry. Three and a half years, Nicodemus heard about it. He felt convicted by it. Three and a half years later, when finally Jesus was crucified, he had the courage to come to the cross. But guess what? It was too late by then. Sure, Nicodemus was saved, but guess what? That time with Jesus was gone. Nicodemus made his way through the crowd of all those people who were mocking Jesus as he was on the cross, just like those people who were bitten by the serpents. He made his way all the way right down to the foot of the cross and helped take the body of Jesus down. Three and a half years later, Nicodemus took the body of Jesus, but it was the broken body of Jesus. Folks, when God speaks to us about things, he gives us opportunities but guess what? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We may end up like Nicodemus three and a half years later. Oh yeah, three and a half years later, that's when I'll follow God. But guess what? You may come too late. That's why Jesus says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, follow him. Today, if you hear him, follow him. You know, I heard a very interesting story about a young boy who was walking and as he was walking on his way to school, he gets lost. 
And as he gets lost, he starts wandering around. It starts turning into 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Cop car drives by and says, son, are you lost? And the child said, I am lost. And he says, I'm going to take you home. Where's home? The young man said, I don't know where home's at. And he says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Robert. And he says, okay, Robert. He says, okay, what's the street look like? And he says, I don't know. And finally, he says, I do remember one thing. On my street, there's a giant cross. And he says, a giant cross? Yeah, he says, there's a giant cross there. And he says, when you find the giant cross, then that's where home is. And so that police begin to go around, and all of a sudden, he found this church that had a giant cross on it. And when the young man saw it, he says, now I know where home's at. Folks, when you look at the cross of Calvary, it shows us how to get home. It shows us how to get home. Can you say amen to that? It shows us how to get home. When we see the cross of Calvary, it shows us how to get home. And folks, Jesus is calling each, to each person today, and he is saying, will you follow me? Tomorrow's promise to no man. He has shown you these things because he is calling you in the next step to go all the way. Folks, this isn't the time to walk away and say, you know what, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next week, maybe the week after. No, just like those people who walked away from Jesus, some of them never saw him again. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God calls you to follow him. We're going to do something very special. We're going to take out our last decision card right now. And if you can have the table leaders just pass out those decision cards. Folks, make sure everyone gets one of these cards. You're hearing these things and you're saying, Lord, I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to be where you're at. I have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be like those Pharisees and Sadducees who walked away. I've seen the cross of Calvary. I know where home's at. I've seen what the scriptures are teaching, and I want to be a follower of Jesus. Folks, this is extremely important. Don't let the devil distract you. This is the most important decision you can make. It could be an eternal decision, an eternal decision. And the Spirit of God has been bringing you to this point to understand things. And now you do. You've seen all these things, and God is calling you to follow Him. Now, and everybody take one, of these, take one of these cards out. You say, okay, I want to make an eternal decision for Jesus. An eternal decision for Jesus. And you say, okay, I want to follow. I want to be baptized or re-baptized in the near future and join God's kingdom as one of his children. You've learned the truth about baptism. You've learned the truth about rebaptism, and you're saying, okay, God, I want to be a follower of God. I want to be somebody who is part of your end time movement. I want you to circle that. Say, Lord, I don't want nothing to stand in place of that. The second thing is this. I want to become a part of God's final end time movement and join the Seventh-day Adventist church. I want you to circle that. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to let nothing hold me back. I've seen the biblical truths. Folks, what we have here is what it is. There's nothing else being concealed. This is the truth of God's word. You've seen 
what God has shown you and he is calling you to be a faithful disciple, to be like those who are following the Lamb of God. I want you to circle that and say, okay, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. Folks, I want you to pay attention. This is extremely important. You may be the only one who's making this decision, but make that decision. Because you may be the only one who will lead your family later on to make that decision. And that's why it's so important to follow Jesus. 11 years ago, 11 years ago, I was baptized. 11 years ago, I heard these beautiful truths and I could not deny them. I knew what scripture was teaching. I knew that God had brought me to this. And I knew it was through his providence. He had led me to understand these truths. It was the spirit of God who was pleading with me to follow him. Folks, if you sense the conviction in your heart, I want you to check that. Don't let nothing hold you back. Don't let nothing hold you back. Let nothing hold you back. Folks, if Jesus died publicly for you, why won't you confess him publicly? Jesus paid the price for you. Why don't you follow him? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love Jesus, follow him. If you've seen what he has done for you on the cross of Calvary, follow him. We're going to do something very special. Something very, very special. Some of you have already made a decision for baptism. Some of you already said, okay, Lord, I want to be baptized. Praise the Lord. But folks, we want you to be a witness right now, too. Some of those who made that decision for baptism, I want you to come up to the front right now. I want our family to see these people who are making that decision. If you made a decision for baptism the last two weeks, I want you to come to the front right now and say, Lord, this is where I'm going to follow God right now. Guess what, folks? Guess what? There are others who need to make that decision, too. There are others who need to follow God. You have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. As Jesus died publicly for your sins, folks, I want you to confess him publicly. If you're somebody today who's saying, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to be somebody who is standing for the truth of Bible prophecy. I want to be one of your end-time people, folks. This is the time to come up. This is the time to come up and say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming up. I'm following you. Folks, if you sense the Spirit of God tonight, this is the time to come forward and make that decision. And make that decision. God bless you, brother. bless you. But you know what, folks? I know the Spirit of God has much to do. I know God is trying to work in the hearts of men and women everywhere. And he calls each person to follow him, to make that stand. And these are the times, Lord. These are the times. Jesus doesn't call you to be perfect. He calls you to be willing. Can you say amen to that? Perhaps there's somebody else. Praise the Lord, sisters. Perhaps there's somebody else who needs to make that same decision and say, Lord, I need to be rebaptized. I've heard the truth. I might have grown up with them, but now I've been convicted in my heart, and I'm going to make that decision to stand for Jesus. Perhaps it's you tonight. 
And you're saying, Lord, tonight I want to make a stand for you. I want to be where you're at, God. This is the time, folks. This is the time. One of my, I heard a story actually of one of my friends who preached down in South America. And as he shared some of these beautiful truths, he did something odd and unusual. On the very first night, he shared everything. You see, the first night, yeah, he said he felt impelled to do it, compelled to do it. And everybody said, why did you do that? Why did you share everything on the first night? He said, I don't know. He made an appeal and everybody had come forward. Several people came forward. The very next day, there was an earthquake that killed hundreds of those people. Folks, this isn't some type of guilt-ridden appeal, but folks, I want you to understand something. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But at least, the very least, you want to be able to walk away and say, you know what? Today, Jesus, I did stand for you. I did stand for you. When nobody else would, I did stand for you. Is there anybody else today who says, Lord, I want to come forward. I have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Folks, for those who are already baptized and those who say, Lord, I know you've been working in my life, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for those who haven't. Praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. The family of God, I know there's somebody else. And you know who they are. You may not know who they are. That's why you need to be praying for them right now. Pray for them. Say, Lord, give them courage to follow you. Folks, God calls us to follow him. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. They're making their stand for Jesus. They're making their stand for Jesus. Not for me, for Jesus. Praise the Lord, folks. I believe there's one more. I believe in that. You need to be praying, Lord, help that person to follow you. Give them courage. Amen. Folks, this is the time that God is calling us to follow him. Amen. I'm not one for long baptismal appeals. Actually, I am, but, uh, you know, <laughs> to me, it's worth seeing a soul eternally saved. Eternally saved. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to realize, man, all of heaven rejoiced that day. All of heaven rejoiced when these people made a stand to follow God, say, Lord, I'm following you. Is there anybody else today who says, Lord, I want to stand for you? I want to stand for you. I want you to come up to the front right here. Say, Lord, I want to make that decision to follow you tonight. Follow you tonight. These are the times, folks, that God is calling us to follow him. A few years ago, I was standing on top of a, a cliff, and my friend said, hey, it's time for you to take a dive. And I was just taking that dive into you know, a pool of water, and I said, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. Two years later, I was brought to an even higher cliff. And no friends were there. They were over somewhere else. And I just stood there and I said, I can't do this. I said, Lord, I'm going to do this. I jumped in. 
I dived into, jumped into this pool of water. I said, wow. The second time, the cliff was higher. You know, we may say, Lord, not today. I'm not going to follow you yesterday. I'm not going to follow you the, the week ago. But guess what? The cliff's higher today. With each appeal of Christ, it gets higher. Why? Because more and more our hearts are pushing away from the Spirit of God. But today, if you hear His voice, now is the time to follow Him. So one more person today who says, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to make that stand for you. You alone are called by God to make that stand. Jesus made that stand for you 2,000 years ago. Is there anybody else today who will make that stand for the Lord? Anybody else? Keep praying, folks. I believe there's just one more person. One more person today says, Lord, I want to follow you. There's always one. There's always one. I preached in India. Made a similar appeal. No one got up for about 15 minutes. 15 minutes I stood there. There was over 1,000 Indian students. Finally, somebody comes up from the back and says, I'll come up. And as they came up, all of a sudden, all these other people stood up and came forward. It just took one person who says, Lord, I'll stand up. And stood up in the midst of everyone and says, I'll follow Jesus. That's why I'm here. And as they stood up, others came behind them. There's one more person today who says, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be baptized or re-baptized. I've learned so much today, so much these last few weeks. that I want to make a decision to follow you to be part of your remnant end time. Let's bow our heads right now. Father in heaven, if there's one more person who just couldn't come up right now, Lord, give them that courage to come forward right now even. Just want to pray for these people who made a stand today to say, Lord, I want to follow you. God, we know all of heaven is rejoicing. These people are making decision to follow the end time movement who've seen the truths of scripture and say, Lord, we cannot deny your holy word. God bless them. Seal them with that Holy Spirit promise that you, you told us about. Thank you, Lord, for starting them fresh on this, this brand new journey. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.